Thank you for beautiful worship today. Our message comes from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 20. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Turn in your copy of God's Word to our passage today. The most important decision. You're a contestant all of a sudden on the game show, Deal or No Deal, and Howie Mandel, man, he's got a great first name, doesn't he? (laughs) Howie Mandel poses a question to you. Are you going to make a deal with the banker, or do you want to eliminate some more briefcases? The briefcases, 26 in total, have a cash value anywhere from one penny to one million dollars. As the briefcases are eliminated, the banker seeks to cut a deal to limit her losses, and in turn, you can make sure you go home with, well, at least some money, $64,000 the banker offers. If you'll stop the game, call it off. So the question, deal or no deal? Your eyes look down at the buzzer. Do you push it? Game over. No longer a chance to win a million, but at least you can cut your mortgage in half. Well, standing over there in your cheering section is your mom. She's always the conservative one in the family. And she says, honey, take the money and run. Just take the money and run. But it's your decision. It's your decision. And then there's your Uncle Ted. Well, he likes Vegas a lot and the horse track. And he urges you, he's got that feeling. Keep playing, keep playing in order to win that elusive million. But, you know, he's not the one giving up 64 grand now, is Uncle Ted. Howie is waiting. What do you decide? You're torn between two choices, deal or no deal. The doctor walks into the hospital room and says, you need surgery. But the risks are high. You have about a 60% chance of making it through the surgery because of your delicate condition. But if you don't have the surgery, you have a very high probability in the next six months of a stroke and a heart attack. It's a tough choice. It's a tough decision. Surgery or no surgery. The President of the United States talks to his cabinet. He whispers in secret to the Secretary of State, He has to make a decision that will impact the whole world. The decision will cost lives, money, may even cost him re-election. Do we go to war? He listens to the public opinion polls. He talks to his advisors and makes innumerable phone calls to world leaders. By the end, the decision is his. After all, he is the commander-in-chief to act or not to act. If you're a person who doesn't like decisions, and that's a great deal of the population, I've got some really bad news for you today. Today, you're going to make the most important decision of any decision that you could ever make because Moses poses a question in the text today. He poses the most important question that you and I have ever been asked. 
The danger of reading Deuteronomy chapter 30 is that it brings us to the proverbial fork in the road, the point of making decision. Moses poses a question and Moses waits and wants to know, what are you going to do? What are you going to choose? I didn't realize before I prepared for this sermon just how much decision-making was a field in the academy. For example, I discovered there's a journal called the Journal of Multi-Criteria Decision Analysis. Anybody have that on their coffee table at home? Or there's a journal named the Journal, journal of Behavioral Decision-Making, a journal named Group Decision and Negotiation, a journal named Decision Support Systems, one entitled Organizational Behavior and Human Decision Processes, even one entitled Medical Decision-Making, and finally, there's a journal called Decision Sciences. Decision-Making can be really tough, can't it? Edward R. Dayton, in an article entitled Good Decision-Making, says that avoiding making a decision is about the worst decision that you can make. He says, you need to decide to go left, to go right, or even you can decide to stay put. But just to indefinitely put off the decision usually leads to worse consequences than if you chose either the left or the right. He says... You need to make the decision before you. How do you make a good decision? The experts say, first of all, make sure it's your decision to make. Don't try to make someone else's decision for her. Is, is it your decision to make? Secondly, define as specifically as possible uh, the decision that needs to be made. Exactly what are you deciding to do or not to do? What are you choosing among. Then write down all the alternatives, number three, all the various alternatives to the decision that you could possibly make. Number four, ponder which decision really fits you. Number five, don't rely on the experts too much because after all, the experts are human and, well, they can make a mistake just as readily as you can. Number six, be careful not to hear what only you want to hear, but listen to all the voices of wisdom in making the decision. And number seven, finally, go with your gut. We've all been there. You make that decision left or right, and then you can't sleep after that, or you have a headache or a stomach ache. They say that our minds process so much information that in reality, kind of internally we're processing it. And if we make the wrong decision, sometimes we have that physiological response of the headache, the stomach ache, the sleepless night, because deep down it seemed right on paper, but our gut, our heart tells us us, we've made, after all of that, a very bad choice. Well, sometimes it's hard to know which way to go. Robbie, would you join me up here for just a minute here on the stage? Robbie's going to have to make a decision. Robbie, there's three bags here before you. This is uh, kind of like deal or no deal here, uh, Dr. Barrett. And one of those has five cents in it. One of those has five dollars in it. One of those has $50 in it. And so, uh, Dr. Barrett, you've got a decision to make. Make it carefully. Thinking about this big one. You going to go with the big one? Well, 
shift in the small one. Well, I might. Or you may be thinking, I'm going to think you're putting the small gift. Yeah, 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 yeah. Reverse psychology. Medium seems safe. I don't know. You're going with the big one. All right, open it up. Let's see what you got. It was five cents, five dollars, or fifty dollars. And what'd you get? And unfortunately, Dr. Barrett did me in. He got the fifty dollars. That was not a setup. He did not know, but he always gets the best of me. Go off the stage, Dr. Barrett. We really don't appreciate your help this morning. He had a 33.3% chance of doing that to me, and he did it. Maybe we should pray and go home at this point. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapters 1 through 4, we're told about ancient Israel's difficult journey to the border of the Promised Land. In chapters 5 through 28, We're provided with a fresh statement again of God's law, what God commands for ancient Israel, including the Ten Commandments repeated amongst the statutes. And as the Israelites bound themselves at Mount Sinai to keep the commandments, now the generation standing on the border of the promised land is asked to recommit itself to the soon-be-taken land, in a way that promotes God's blessing. In the first 10 verses of chapter 30, we have a foreshadowing that they may make some bad choices, and the hope is that they'll one day return to the land that God has promised them. But Moses sets forth the catastrophic event of covenant disobedience or the blessing that could come from keeping the commandments of God. He uses terms like judgment and exile and, well, Moses now in verse 11 of chapter 30, well, he presents the message with clarity. Look at verse 11 through 14. For this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us or get it for us or make us hear it that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. But the word is very near to you in your mouth. It's in your heart that you may observe it. The first thing I want you to see in Deuteronomy chapter 30 is the clarity of the covenant. Moses wanted the people to understand, having just laid out in Deuteronomy the commandments and the statutes of God, that knowing what God requires of his people is not a difficult task. Mark Twain said a lot of people worry about the parts of the Bible they don't understand. Well, Twain said it's not the parts he doesn't understand that bother him. It's the parts that he does understand that bothers him. Moses is saying, you know what God wants you to do. You know what it is to be obedient to the commands of God. Verse 11 there, he says, for this command, it represents all of God's law, all the statutes. It's used in a summary fashion to represent all that God requires in obedience to his people. He uses 
that language throughout the book of Deuteronomy, the command to mean all of God's laws and statutes. God has made his expectations clear. In fact, what he says here is literally in verse 11, it's translated this way. I command you today, it's not too difficult to you. The little translation is this, it's not too wonderful for you. It's not too far beyond you. What God expects or wants for you is not beyond your reach. It's not too big or too grand. It's not so wonderful that you can't understand. But rather, you know, I've just rehearsed with you what it would look like to be obedient to God and what it would look like to be disobedient to God. It's not beyond you. It's not too wonderful. Which way might you choose? Even as God is near, Moses is saying, so are his commandments. God has not shrouded or hidden his covenant from ancient Israel in some heavenly place of safekeeping. The transcendent glory of heaven, look what he says. It's not up there in heaven, verse 12. The transcendent glory of heaven does not camouflage the covenant of God. It's clear. It's here. It's right now. We don't have to find some way to ascend to heaven to be able to comprehend, to grasp the word of God. I've laid it out for you, Moses says. Now, what will you choose? Now, I'm often perplexed at folks who are constantly looking for Hidden codes are secrets in Scripture. It's a way to sell a, a million copies of a book. If you come up with, you've deciphered the code, you found the, the code in Scripture, you found some unknown communication, some secret by which to translate the meaning of God's Word. The reality is there are no secrets in God's Word. There is no hidden code to the Scripture. There is nothing unknown about what God expects of His people. That's what Moses is saying here. The commandments are clear. God has spoken. His covenant has been written. You don't have to unscramble a code to understand the ten words, the ten commandments that Moses goes over. They're clear. They've been spoken. You don't have to fly up to the heavens to find the Word of God. Or look at verse 13. He says, you don't have to plunge into the depths of the sea. It's not a treasure hidden at the bottom of the ocean. God's covenant is before you. His Word is near. Look at verse 14. He says, but the Word is very near you. It's in your mouth. It's on your heart that you may observe it. You've already put to memory. It's already in your heart. You've already spoken with your lips and your tongue the commandments of God. He has in mind here, of course, the Shema found earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 6 where we read these words. These words, meaning God's commands, shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons 
You shall talk of them when you sit in the house and, and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Right there in Shema, he says, the commands of God are in your heart and they're on your lips and you talk about them all day long and you share them with your children, your sons and your daughters and you say, God has commanded and this is why we live this way. So first of all, the commands are very clear. Secondly, choose life. Look at verses 15 through 20. Choose life. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity or death and adversity. And that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you're entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish and you shall not prolong your days in the land where you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. I will call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life or death, the blessing or the curse. Choose life today in order that you might live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God and obeying his voice and by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them. Having proclaimed the clarity of the covenant in verses 11 through 14, in verses 15 through 20, Moses calls upon them to make the choice of obedience. Make the choice of life. Verse 15, he says, there's two ways. There's one choice, two paths. Life and prosperity or death and adversity. If you choose, if you decide to go down the road of obedience to God's commandments, that decision will lead to life and prosperity. If you choose to disobey God's commandments, it will lead to death and adversity. I've often thought, and I know there are some uncontrollables in life, but in many ways, our lives are the sum total of the choices that we make through the years. I know there's some things you can't control, and some of those choices are how you react to an uncontrollable that's presented to you. Sometimes our reactions are as important as our actions, but there is a real way in which our lives come down to the sum total of the choices that we make of all the many choices that are before us. And isn't it nice today that Moses can say to you, whatever difficult choices you have to make, it comes down to one big choice. I'll be obedient to God and God's word, or I'll choose to go my own way. All those other decisions are somehow just a miniature of that one decision to go God's way or to go your own way, to be obedient or to be disobedient to the commands of God. In fact, 
the Bible really is a collection of people faced with that choice. Character after character, page after page, we come across an actor or an actress, a character who is given the choice of obedience to the expectations of God that are set out clearly or to go their own way. Today, to this generation, the same choice is presented that was presented to that first generation of ancient Israelites at Sinai. Should the Israelites choose to keep the commandments of God, they are choosing, in essence, to go the way of life. They're choosing to live fully and to multiply, to be fruitful in the land that God has promised to them. Now, think of another book of the Bible where we choose good or evil over and over again. That's Proverbs, isn't it? There's two ways of life. The Proverbs kind of opens that way, and it continues that way. It says to the individual, you are making a choice, and you can choose the way of wisdom or the way of folly, the way of God, the way your own way or, or other gods. You can choose the way of obedience or disobedience. Now, in Proverbs, those decisions are given to individuals, and Moses, in some way, is giving this decision to the whole community of ancient Israel. But I want you to know, he uses the singular pronoun you in the Hebrew text. So, whatever ancient Israel decides, it is a tapestry woven together of the individual choices of those who call themselves the people of God. So what will you individually, and thus you as a people, decide? God never wants robotic obedience from his people. It is an amazing thing that our creator, the creator of the cosmos, has given us the power to say no to him. We do have choices. It's not a predetermined script. We, we choose to obey or disobey. It's on our shoulders. It's not on God's shoulders. And he doesn't want us to obey him simply out of fear. But what is the motivation over and over and over again here in Deuteronomy 30? Why does God want his people to obey them? Look at the end of, of verse 6. It, it starts all the way back there. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, in order that you might live. God wants you to choose obedience because you love him. Not because he made you, and not necessarily because you're afraid to choose against God, but rather by the compassion in your heart, your love for God. You saw it in verse 6. Look at verse 16. And that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to walk in his ways and keep his commandments. To love God is to walk in obedience to his word. If you don't buy it in 6 or 16, look at verse 20. He closes by saying again, by loving the Lord your God and obeying. You, you see that? The essence of obedience is a love for God. If God's people love him, they will be obedient to him. It is the motivation of love. 6, 16, and 20. A heart turned toward God is a heart that longs to please the Lord. Now, 
you've made a lot of important decisions in your life. Many of you have already made those decisions. Some of you are at the threshold of some big decisions, and, and maybe you didn't sleep last night because of a, a big decision you have to make in your life. We are all bombarded with big decisions. Who will be my wife? Who will be my husband? What job, what career will I seek after? What city am I going to live in? What house am I going to buy? Those are all big decisions, life-changing decisions. But of all the decisions you have ever made in your life, there is no decision more important than the decision that Moses places before us today. We're called upon in this passage to literally choose between life and death, between loving God or ignoring God, between a blessing and a curse. I think the Bible is a collection of people at that moment of choice. Today's sermon is sort of a condensing down of all of Scripture. Well, it starts out with Adam, doesn't it? Does Adam have a choice? Yes, Adam has a choice. He was told, do not eat of the fruit of a specific tree. He could choose to be obedient. He could choose to be disobedient. And Adam chooses disobedience and thus death. God says you choose the wrong way, death. Adam brought us all death by that choice. And then there's Noah. Unlike Adam, Noah is obedient. In fact, we, he builds a big boat that makes no sense at the time. And we read in Genesis 6 that Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. Adam chose disobedience. Noah chose obedience. The next character, big Abraham, go forth from your country, go to a new land, I'm promising you. And Abraham packs up and goes. And then there's the first king, Saul, and he has a decision to make, and he's disobedient by sparing Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And God says, I regret having chosen you because you did not obey me. You are out as a king. When the biblical characters chose to be obedient, they were blessed. When they chose disobedience, it didn't work out so well, did it? In fact, it's true of the New Testament as well. We have the story of the rich young ruler, and he goes and he deals with greed and materialism, and he says, I I'm keeping the commandments. What do I need to do to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus knows his weakness, and for him, in his case, Jesus says, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. Then the greed will be out of your heart, and you can follow me. And it says he hangs his head low. He's sad and he walks away because he has much and he's going to say no deal to the command of God. But ultimately, the Bible concludes with a character at the moment of decision, and that character is God himself and the person of his son, Jesus. You know how Paul presents in Philippians the decision of Jesus to be crucified? It says that he was obedient to death, even what? To death on the cross. And you say, well, look what that got him. He, he chose obedience and he was crucified. But three days later, the stone had been rolled away and the tomb was empty. 
deal, God ask, or no deal? Joshua later in the future will put it in the same way. Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Jesus in the New Testament, Joshua's the same name. He says to Peter and Andrew, come and follow me. Deal or no deal? Moses begins the first speech in this book with, see, I have placed the land before you. Go in and possess the land I've said it before you, life and death, he says. Now at the end of the book, his last speech, choose life. You know, the interesting thing is that early in Exodus, there at Sinai, we know what the people say. They say, we will be obedient. We will serve the Lord. Or in the future, when Joshua poses a question, choose this day who you will serve, we get the answer. The people say, we will, we're with you, Joshua. We will be obedient. We will serve the Lord. But here at the end of Deuteronomy, when Moses poses a question a second time, the story ends, and we don't know what they choose. Why are they open-ending to Moses' question? Why not the affirmative response of yesterday or the affirmative response tomorrow from Joshua? Why the open-ended question in the text today, in the story today? Why does the writer... Leave the response open-ended. I think because Moses wants you to choose for yourself. It's not prescripted. It's open. You can write the end of Deuteronomy for you. Of all the questions you'll ever have posed to you, I'm not the one posing the question, it's Moses. And Moses says, you know God's commands. They're not high in heaven. They're not in the depths of the sea. That's no excuse. You know what to do. I've rehearsed it with you. You know the commandments. Will you choose obedience or disobedience? Deal or no deal? Then you choose. Let us pray. Oh God, the number of decisions we'll make even today are myriad in number, they are many. We start out choosing what color of clothes we'd wear. That we start out choosing whether or not we come to your house today. We'll make choices at lunch and all day long that none of those choices matter. It only matters if we get this one choice right. Oh God, may your Holy Spirit compel upon us 
that we've had a divine appointment to hear this word from Moses today, and we are to choose life. We are to choose not in fear, but in love for God. Obedience. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Our hymn.